Welcome into the Paul Kuharski podcast, an affiliate of 440 Sports. I'm Paul Kuharski of paulkuharski.com. I mentioned my name three times at the beginning. It's kind of my thing. A brief addition on this short week. Next week is minicamp. Things will really get longer. A scruffy green edition, we're going to call this. We're going to talk about Charles London's approach. Uh, first time we've talked to him since he's been around as the quarterback coach, passing game coordinator. Brett Kern's send off. Derek Henry's altered offseason and uh, building relationships with players for new position coaches. Uh, brought to you by Jasper's, a fine restaurant slash bar that I will talk to you about a little bit later. Let's dive right in. Charles London uh, came to the Titans. He once worked here as a quality control slash uh, offensive assistant. Um, he's now the quarterback slash passing game coordinator coach. And um, we talked to him for the first time this week at OTAs. And he talked about his uh, kind of strategy with three very different quarterbacks. He has obviously Ryan Tannehill, a seasoned veteran, Malik Willis, going into his second year after really struggling with his opportunities as a rookie coming out of a small school where he really ran a limited offense. And then uh, a rookie and Will Levis, who obviously played in, uh, in the SEC in a pro-style offense, uh, had some struggles, but certainly was asked to do a lot. Here's uh, Charles London on his approach with his quarterbacks. No, I think you teach them all the same. And, you know, we all meet together, we're all in the same room. So you start at the 300 level, and if there's extra meeting time you got to have, there's extra meeting time you're going to have. But you don't ever want to slow the train down. I think you got to throw as much of them as, as possible and go from there. Where's and so then he went on to talk about kind of what he did in Atlanta, where he was dealing with Marcus Mariota and uh, Desmond Ritter. Um, in the in the in the room with the Falcons. Well, you know, it's it's um, you know my first year in Atlanta. Obviously, we had Matt Ryan, who was a 14-year veteran, and then last year was Marcus, and we had a rookie in Desmond. And really, is what what I learned really from a rookie quarterback perspective is you've got to push the envelope with him. You've got to you've got to throw as much information at him and let them grow from there. And there's going to be some struggles and, and you know, there's going to be some hiccups along the way, but I don't think you can baby them. I think you just got to throw as much at them, see if it sticks and have them grow each day. 300 level push the envelope. I, I'm not thinking these things sound, these things sound great for Malik Willis, who was slow to catch on last year. Now the system has changed to hear a lot of guys talk about it. It's changed dramatically. Uh, the wording of play calls is down to one word, but that one word means a lot. The quarterback has to know all of what that means. Um, I, I think it's it's an easier conversion, obviously, for Ryan Tannehill, who's been in the league for, for 10 years. And it's more familiar to Levis, who ran something, you know, somewhat similar in, in college pro style. For Willis, it's the biggest change. And so, um, you know, we've already talked about the fact that it's going to be hard for him to make this team because it have to be a three-quarterback team. I think that's unlikely. Um, then he's going to need to clear waivers and get on this practice squad. Well, that depends on what kind of preseason he has in Tennessee, what kind of interest there is from elsewhere. I don't, I don't think it would be difficult for him to – to get cut and make this team, but it obviously depends uh, and make this practice squad. It obviously it depends on what kind of preseason he does have. Um, you know, London said there 
you know, you teach it at an advanced level. And then if you need to circle back and work with a guy, you work with a guy. So I could see, you know, a lot of work going into Willis. He also said, you know, that they tasked Malik with some stuff for the offseason. And then the first thing he said when I asked him what they tasked him with was command of the huddle. They're still talking about command of the huddle, which is, you know, a very elemental thing. Still the top item. 300 level stuff is not command of the huddle. That's elemental quarterback stuff, is it not? Um, I don't take that as a good sign either. Now, command of the offense was quickly the second thing you had, learning defenses. Those those were two and three. Um, so it just uh, some interesting things to contextualize what's going on with the Titans and their three quarterbacks and hearing from their new quarterback coach for the first time. One thing we've got to stop here now, we've seen two practices. Uh, we saw rookie minicamp practice. We've seen two practices. This coming week, we'll see three practices in a row as the Titans hold their minicamp before OTAs are finishing the kind of uh, quirkier scheduling. But we got to stop this thing where we see some video of, of Lavis and he looks good and everybody goes crazy. Oh, my God, look how great he is. And then another day where the report is that he's inconsistent and fumbled a snap and threw some wobblers and, and wasn't great, which he certainly was not on uh, on Wednesday. And say, oh, my God, it's a huge failure. I mean – at some point I have to stop, I guess, I'm never going to do this, but trying to, to police your reaction or the reaction of the extremists out there. But you got to contextualize this whole thing. He's going to have good days and bad days. I will say, though, the idea that he could come in like a bomb and explode on the Titans practice field and kind of uh, change the terrain of everything like, uh, you know, you, you might dreamingly expect of the fourth quarterback chosen in a draft where it's going to be a, oh, my God, kind of guy, even to Tannehill. I, I don't think that's happening. Tannehill doesn't need to look over his shoulder at this guy. Tannehill is very much the best quarterback out there at this stage to the degree that I think it would be very hard to think that Levis, barring injuries or something crazy, could by opening day be a guy that the Titans think is their best option. Uh, that's not going to happen based on Tannehill's command and presence and all of those things you would expect of a guy with his experience and knowledge and understanding of the game to be. Does Levis have a better, you know, flick? Does he have a better release? Yeah, but that doesn't overcome you know, uh, a lot of the things that Tannehill with his experience is going to have clear advantages in over Levis. And like I said, that, that quality of uh, coming in and just being like a revelation is, is not there for Will Levis. And that doesn't mean he's not going to get there. It doesn't mean he's not a very uh, intriguing prospect and all of that, but he's going to have to climb the ladder uh, you know, he comes in on rung two, whereas Willis came in, you know, maybe in a uh, in a hole underneath the ladder. Um, but but that's where things are. Um, you're getting what's normal and what's expected with the quarterback coming in 
not the kind of thing that maybe they're, you know, seeing or were expecting in Atlanta, uh, sorry, in um, Carolina with, with Bryce Young or in Houston with uh, C.J. Stroud. I have not uh, read in great detail um, about those guys. And did I say fourth quarterback? He's the third, I guess, Levis, right? On to uh, Brett Kern. Brett Kern um, announced his retirement on uh, Thursday. And uh, they had a press conference for him, which they do for guys who've spent long uh, and effective careers with the Titans. He obviously finished up in Philadelphia last year, did not get to punt in the Super Bowl as the injured guy he replaced was back in time to, uh, to punt in the championship game, but was part of a NFC championship team. Um, a great guy who did great, great work for the Titans for a long time, got beat out by Ryan Stonehouse, um, who he declared, he himself, Kern, declared worthy uh, of the job. And um, so classy all, all the way through. Um, my question, and I wrote about this, is, uh, you know, is he worthy of a Ring of Honor spot? And I think he should be considered. Ring of Honor, only three Tennessee-era guys in there. Uh, McNair, Eddie George, and Frank Wycheck. Offense, offense, and offense for what was largely a defensive football team. I think Javon Curse may be, because of the huge immediate impact he had on this team, and he threw that 99 team over the top, would be the first guy under consideration. Keith Bullock, um, a team-defining, identity-creating player with a long career as a, a inside linebacker for this team right there also. I think those guys are both due. But I think behind those two um, and, and on the cusp, you could put Kern. This is a special teams-driven field position team for a long, long time, a long piece of Kern's career, a good section of which we debated if he was the best football player on the team. Was it because the roster sucked for a good period of it or a decent period of it? Sure. But it's also because Brett Kern is an excellent, excellent football player. Uh, He's eighth all-time in punts inside the 20 with 396. All but 23 of those were for the Tennessee Titans. Um, and I also know, you know, and this isn't the kind of thing that gets you in the ring of honor, but community relations, public relations, you know, a lot of professional football players are not the most reliable guys around. And when players had interviews scheduled that they might not show up for, community events scheduled that they might not show up for, Brett Kern was on call and available and bailed the Titans out a billion times. Um, and much to his uh, credit, was uh, super, super reliable. want to thank Jasper's, my sponsor. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see their logo up here. Um, and whatever platform you're listening on, I know that you get hungry and thirsty. And the place to eat and drink in Nashville is just west of 40 on West End uh, Avenue. Jasper's, great, uh, great bar and restaurant. Uh, I recommend the bolognese. That's my favorite dish there. But the menu is good top to bottom, as are the drinks, which are cold, fresh mixed beer, 
great. You can watch a game on their big TV with a lot of plush chairs in that area. You can go outside, play, uh, go into another room, play uh, free pop a shot, free shuffleboard. You can park for free, which is a big rarity in Nashville, as we all know. If you're unable to go inside for some reason, there's grab and grow, go market so you can get something for home, but it's a perfect place for a business lunch, um, for date night, um, or to go out with the guys or, or, or have a girl's night. It's perfect for, for virtually every occasion. Uh, it won't disappoint. Uh, they're big supporters of mine, which I really appreciate. So please, you go be big supporters of theirs. Uh, I'm due for a trip down there, so I'm going to put it on my list get down there and uh, maybe try something I haven't tried before, though I always struggle with that because I always go back to my favorite thing on menus, Jasper's on West End near 40. Check them out. DeAndre Hopkins, um, you know, a lot of Titans fans intrigued by the idea. Look, uh, not going to cost the trade capital, going to be cheaper than expected that the Odell uh Odell deal in, in Baltimore screws things up a little bit, but everybody said, well, you know, why would he come play for the Titans? Look, I don't know if the Titans have interest or not. They're being very coy about it on and off the record, but um, I don't know if he's interested or not. He does have connections to Vrabel and to Tim Kelly from his time in Houston. Uh, the presumptions widely been that he, uh, you know, wants to go to, to Buffalo or Kansas city teams that would, you know, a lot of teams would have to, to create money in order to uh, make something happen with him. But everybody's like, you know, he wouldn't choose to play for, he wouldn't choose to play for, as if he just gets to choose his team, which isn't necessarily the case. If he wants to make uh, reasonable money, the team might choose him based on who makes him um, the best offer. The Titans are largely equipped to do that. As Mike Herndon writes uh, at, at my site, there's an easy path to creating the money and there's a lot of incentive to go get DeAndre Hopkins. We all know that given what they have um, at wide receiver, it's a good piece. But the thing that makes it even more intriguing now is, and this may just be Hopkins playing the leverage game, but Hopkins has put it out there that he's interested in going back to Houston. And what isn't Houston? A big time Super Bowl contender. So again, you can't just dismiss a team because it's not uh, a big time Super Bowl contender because he's going to want to contend. Um, you know, circumstances beyond that. And the number one one is always cash um, exist. So keep our eye on that. Titans still not saying anything. And uh, the blank stares and the, mm -hmm. and the whispery tone of Mike Vrabel again suggests that we're all idiots for wanting them to be better at wide receiver and they have the magic formula figured out. Um, continued ridiculousness, whether it's DeAndre Hopkins or not, um, they should have done something at wide receiver when they had the opportunity and I'm still expecting something magic to happen based on the fact that the, based on the way Vrabel spoke of these great possibilities that were to come after the draft ended. Well, here's one of the great possibilities. Uh, they're sitting on their ass as far as we know. Maybe they're working magic behind the scenes. God bless them if they are. Why is Derek Henry at OTAs when he usually stays home? 
and shows up only for the mandatory minicamp that's coming up next week. Um, we'll hear from him next week. He'll talk during uh, minicamp, and we're anxious to hear from him. But uh, it seems like there's obvious reason why he's around, and I would think this will be part of what he'll tell us next week. He's got a new playbook. He's got a new offensive coordinator, and he's got a uh, new position coach. So I asked that new position coach, the running back coach, Jason Outen, about it. I'm sure it helped uh, having a new system getting put in and kind of going through the terminology and getting squared away with it. But, uh, you know, he's when he's here, he's here. Uh, it's not like he's just here for uh, attendance purposes or kind of being just in the spotlight. He's here for his teammates, and he's here to learn the offense. So uh, it's great that he's uh, around. You can imagine he's not doing a heck of a lot of team stuff. I think uh, this most recent practice he ran, maybe the first period of that, and then then faded. A lot of running back uh, motion, movement, empty backfields. That's been reported elsewhere, so I feel at liberty to say it. Um, so intrigue there um, with with the new – a uh, new guy coming in from Tulane, who I think is very intriguing. And a lot of people concerned about that lack of an ACL. But uh, while they've got him and while he's healthy, he's going to be an intriguing chess piece for sure. Talked a little bit last week about Succession. The second to last episode of Succession was absolutely spectacular TV. I'm not so sure about the finale. It left me unsatisfied. And look, I understand that there wasn't necessarily going to be some big surprising twist. There were really only four potential endings, five if you thought Greg somehow was going to wind up king, but he wasn't. So one of the three siblings was getting it, or Tom. So I, I knew I wasn't expecting some big surprise ending, but there was something unsatisfying to me about the way it rolled out. And I certainly didn't want uh, Greg, after yet another betrayal, to wind up okay in the end, and he wound up okay in the end, but shouldn't have been a surprise either. But uh, I'd welcome some feedback as to why I was so unsatisfied by it. It seemed to get great reviews. I read everything, and everybody seemed to like it. I thought the second to last episode was was a tremendous, tremendous piece of TV. Started to watch a show called The Diplomat on Netflix with Carrie Russell. It was a pretty good show, but I don't know why the costume directors have decided that she should look like she like got called into action before she had a chance to comb her hair. And I don't know. It, she looks like she's not ready for work in every scene. Strange to me. Finally, I uh, want to talk about relationships because I wrote a little bit about this in a piece I did on Chris Harris, the new cornerback coach, who a cornerback coach and defensive passing game coordinator who came in with a great reputation, three years in Washington, two of those years, the commander's pass defense was excellent. Um, now, that's not just cornerback play, obviously, but uh, – they're certainly a big piece of it, and he did very well there and comes here as a very popular candidate. If he does well again, you know, it could be a defensive coordinator somewhere next year very quickly. Um, but talk to him about creating relationships with guys while he's already teaching and installing stuff, and, you know, he made it sound pretty simple, you know. 
sit down for guys with lunch and be very intentional about creating relationships or asking questions about their lives and their families and the like. I had read, and I thought this was interesting that, that he kind of had a, a little bit of a mantra rules without relationships create rebellion. And so I knew that he was the kind of guy that wanted to get off to a big start in terms of developing these relationships that allowed the parameters of the kind of rules that a, a coach needs to set. And we know these relationships are really important and we know it can be hard at the beginning. Keith Carter was fired after uh, last season, but was Vrabel's um, offensive line coach from the beginning and had some great successes, some down periods, but some great successes uh, you know, came in and tried to be a real hard ass out of the gate. And that didn't go over well in terms of him forming um, good relationships with his guys. Not that you can't be a hard ass coach today in the league, but his time to forge those relationships wasn't as smooth as it could have been or as he probably would have liked. Um, so I asked Vrabel a, a little bit, who was a you know linebackers coach at the start, and who went through this himself about how you form those relationships while you're getting to work at the at the same time. The challenge is is trying to get to know them as quickly as possible. Um, ask a lot of questions, and, and we try to tell our guys not to not to bullshit through an answer. If you don't know, just say I don't know, and we'll stop right there. Um, and teach them or correct them. You know, we also have, you know, I feel like a great staff that, that can provide for guys to, to get some, you know, we have different coaches that may take new players or younger players off um, in some one-on-one -on -one settings in the morning. And that, that happens with, you know, look at Jaleel, for example, Jaleel Johnson. I walk in the D-line room and, you know, Big T's got the guys that have kind of been here and Clint has taken, you know, Jaleel and started to get him brought up to speed. So, that happens throughout the um, the positions, and, and as many players as have come in in midweek in the middle of the season, you know we've been able, you know, we've had to do that. So he used the new veteran defensive lineman Jaleel Johnson as the example. There, Big T is Terrell Williams, the uh, the defensive line coach. He's with the bulk of the guys. Well, Clint, that's Clint. Clinton McMillan, he's the assistant defensive line coach. He's off working specifically with Jaleel Johnson. So things like that are happening uh, all over the place at this stage of the year. As Vrabel said, things like that were happening all over the team over the course of the last two years while they're plugging guys in during the season, um, you know, across the board to, to address the injury replacement situation. Get tonight, know guys quickly, ask a lot of questions. And that, to a degree, may be the most important thing that goes on in May and June while they're over at uh, team headquarters in Metro Center while they start to form uh, an NFL football team together and guys like Harris and Alton and, to a lesser degree, Tony Dews, who, who knew the tight ends peripherally but has moved from running back to tight end coach, Get to know their guys and, and build a trust where they, they know this guy learns best reading and this guy learns best visually and this guy learns best hands-on and this guy's combo of all three and all of those kind of things. Because Vrabel believes very firmly 
that he and his staff are, are first and foremost teachers and that they've got to figure out the best way to, uh, to teach their players. So Jasper's on uh, West End near 40. Check it out. There's room here for an additional sponsorship of this podcast, which continues to grow and grow. I'd love for you to be a part of this along with them. Reach out to me, pkuharski at gmail.com. That'd be terrific. Until I see you again, I'm going to ask you, as I always do, please don't block the box. But definitely do not forget to lock your locks.